as an investigator, you should go into the location and you should, prior to the investigation, you should kind of do like a baseline. Okay. So if you're walking into a building, it shouldn't be for the first time. It should be at least somewhat familiar. So you have an idea to uh, of what has changed. So the first thing is it should be somewhat familiar to you. Um, and as a writer, you should be able to express that, like with saying things like, I, as the last time he was here, it felt like this. Um, so when you're walking into it, like to me, I don't do the dark, turn off all the lights thing, because that's, that's a party party favor kind of that's a product that's, that's that's production value i guess uh-huh. to get the green so you're gonna take into account what it was like the first time you've been there and then as you go through there you're going to almost have to go into a state of like hyper vigilance Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Daniel Bouts, thank you so much for joining me today for Speculative Sandbox. I am really excited about today's topic. But first, um, how about you introduce yourself and tell our listeners uh, about what you do? Well, thanks, Vicki, for having me on. I'm excited to have the opportunity to talk to the listeners of Speculative Sandbox. I'm a writer. I've had my debut novel out, Life is in the Blood. It came out in February, and it's available on Amazon. Uh, And that's pretty much what I do. Uh, I'm not a full-time writer, but uh, that is my primary focus in life. Gotcha. And when we were chatting before uh, we selected a topic, you had some really interesting experiences and um, you used to run a podcast. So, you know, podcaster to former podcaster, can you tell me about that podcast and, and what was probably the most interesting thing you learned doing that? So one of the most interesting things I learned by doing the podcast, which was called Grand Art Conspiracy, and it was focused on fringe topics like ghosts, Bigfoot, um, you know, outer space, just anything that was kind of not the accepted norm. Uh, so I learned what I learned a lot is that people are pretty much the same no matter what their interests are, um, and that when I went into it, I was trying to see what kind of people were interested in said topics and why they were interested to see, you know, just, just where these people are coming from. And they came from all walks of life, which kind of told me that, you know, there really isn't too as many dissimilarities between people as there are similarities. That was like the biggest thing that I learned um, through doing the podcasting is just talking to all these different people and, and just realizing that everybody is human and we're all having that same human experience. That's a really great thing to learn. We, you talked a little bit about the specific topic uh, that you used to cover a lot, which was paranormal investigations. And when you looked at my list, 
for topic ideas, I what, I what I like to focus on is pulling from industry experts so that fellow writers can kind of get inside your brain and understand the world building and character development for whatever it is that they happen to be writing. And on that list of careers and experiences that I kind of wanted to pull was paranormal investigations. And you wrote me and you said you have experience with that. So can you tell me a little bit about your background there? So my background there is I, I have always been interested in the Odd, odd things that happen in the world, uh, whether they're, you know, ghosts or whatever. So the exploration started pretty early for me into those topics. But like once we had this kind of bloom of paranormal investigation through, you know, the proliferation of podcasts and uh, also televised programming about the topic, I started to see how these methods uh, for investigation were set up. I and another friend started moonlighting, you know, going through graveyards and, and things like that to try and capture any kind of, I want to say, quote, evidence, unquote, that we could to kind of show that this uh, type of material was out there and able to be captured. Um, and so from there, I mean, I never lost interest in the topic. I'm still interested in the topic. But from there, we, we did that uh, for, for a short while. And then I started into the podcast and then it kind of, the exploration went from being practically like in locations then to talking to people who were also engaged in that. So it, the exploration just kind of shifted from physically investigating to uh, almost like looking at it from a sociological and anthropological uh, viewpoint of who and why are people the people doing the investigation interesting so then so here's my... a fun icebreaker if you were a ghost how would you choose to haunt people i'd probably just move the keys around i would be an annoying ghost <laughs> i wouldn't be too nefarious but I, I would like to have fun shut off the tv or switch the channels on them that that kind of thing makes someone go a little crazy they're like i could have sworn i put my things there and now it's in the You're fridge right. <laughs> right. absolutely what kind of circumstances call for a paranormal investigation so that's a good question i think it really comes down to the individual's experience and i think that's one of the discoveries that i made that all of this comes down to the individual and the experiences they're having so if you're scared to be in a location because you believe that there's a haunting going on that warrants an investigation um if if you know you're experiencing some kind of uh more physical manifestations when i'm talking i say that i'm thinking like scratches or things like that that warrants an investigation but I don't think it's the same type of people you need to bring in for each of those investigations. Um, so like, if you just want to know what's going on, I mean, you you can do the investigation yourself, which I know a lot of people say you shouldn't, but you need answers. You're looking for answers. So that's, that is when an investigation I think is warranted. Was there ever a call or a message that you received that kind of freaked you out a little bit, just reading what they were going through? Um, no, because of my own personal experiences kind of seem to um, make a lot of what other people are going through uh, 
not so like scary uh, or daunting. Um, so when uh, I would, I mean, doesn't matter what I would get. Um, it just, you know, you, I, I felt like if I'm going to do something or someone reached out to me that I need to come in calm and even handed and not inflate the situation, um, and not alarm. So to me, it really it wasn't anything that, that super alarmed me. I know I did do a preliminary investigation for a lay religious demonologist who had someone contact them. And that was a very interesting situation because I it was well outside my uh, Demon purview. Demon work um, is outside so, of your purview? Is that what it is, demon well, work? It, yeah, well, I mean, it's a the lay religious demonologist. Um, and there's not a lot of them. He was affiliated with the Catholic Church. I knew him through the podcast. He asked if I would be willing to go out because he lives in the Northeast. And at the time I was living in Ohio and the people that contacted him were from Ohio. He asked if I would go out and do the preliminary uh, investigation and interview with these people. Okay. And I did it. And that was like well outside of what I was used to because it really wasn't so much of me going in and trying to gather evidence of the paranormal as it was to do a psychological profile and like, you know, get some images that I, that would be pertinent to them kind of ascertaining whether this was a psychological problem or this was anything that kind of was a paranormal problem. So oh, what percentage was, of your investigations would you say, I guess, bridge between actual and psychological? That's a good question. Um, I think they're all 100% psychological, regardless of whether or not there's a, a, a bad actor on the other end. Um, so even if there is activity going on, I still think there's a psychological aspect to it, because I think for the most part, I, I mean, from, from my opinion, that uh, either this stuff is exceptionally rare or it's unbelievably common. And I kind of fall on the unbelievably common side of it. It's just a matter of how people disseminate information and whether or not they engage in cognitive dissonance when dealing with, uh, you know, something that's outside their normal. Gotcha. It's kind of like, an, oh, sorry, it's kind of like with Beetlejuice where it's like some most most people won't see ghosts. Mm. It's almost like a choice. Interesting. Okay, so then, in addition to the demonology experience that you had, what's a what's a range of case types that you would get? I mean, to, to me, mostly it was walking around in, in dark places and graveyards and things like that uh, for investigations or going to purportedly haunted locations to kind of capture evidence. As far as a lot of casework, I didn't I didn't really do a lot of person to person casework. Um, so if it were something like that, it would just come in and see if I thought the place was haunted. Um, and usually I, I didn't. Uh, usually it's it's absolutely not not the case and again it comes back to that psychological um bent uh you know i can't dismiss somebody else's experiences but i also can't always confirm them um so it's like kind of trying to prove a negative but what you can do is kind of give people information to kind of assuage the fear okay like maybe scientific explanations if it's not entirely inside their head well if it's not entirely inside the head sometimes it is very like environmental like you know you live in this the like one of the one of the prime examples is uh i went to a location and people would smell like cherry uh pipe smoke 
you know, it would just like kind of appear and, you know, they would get, they were like, that's a ghost. And then you, you would go into the, the, I went into the location and that location was very dank and damp. And so one of the things that people don't think about is like wood and it was very wooden, uh, you know, bare wood on the walls kind of situation. Wood stores and stores uh, information. And I don't mean like literal information, but like, smells so when it gets damp again it'll release that smell again so if someone had been down there for you know for 30 years smoking you know a cherry pipe or whatever a cherry mm -hmm. flavor or cherry scented pipe tobacco that's going to get stored in the environment and when the conditions are right it's going to release that back into the environment so and that's exactly the conditions that it went in it was it was very humid and so then you could smell the cherry pipe smoke you know releasing from that that wood so a lot of it's environmental. Um, a lot of things are stored around us that we don't even think about in the environment. And I'm not I'm not talking about like energy. I'm talking about like like you know the particles of the pipe smoke that does that goes somewhere. It's stored somewhere and it gets released back out. One thing I hear very often is places suddenly get very cold. Were you ever kind of able to figure out a, a reason for that? You know, that's, it's, that's definitely a very interesting, and I've experienced that for sure. Uh, the, the, one of the things that I want to think of is thermodynamics, and I'm doing some research on that right now for the book I'm working on, is, is kind of based around the cold, cold spots thing, uh, which is if you're getting cold one place, then it should heat up in a corresponding place. I don't know how far the distance is. So it's like there's a thermodynamic exchange that happens there. So that is almost like its own way to create like a zero. It's almost like a, a an energy source in and of itself that 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 change. So I know a lot of people think like when spirits are trying to manifest, they're pulling energy from one place to manifest in another. That's the the prevailing theory within the paranormal community. Um, so interesting. So if, I don't if know you're what... in a cold spot, does that mean that in that with that theory that that energy was taken from there so the ghost manifests somewhere else or is the cold spot where they're manifesting see i think a lot of people focus on the cold spot and the, and, the, and the latter but i think that you're more apt to be correct with the the former i think the cold spot is where the energy is being pulled from it's that's where the vacuum is created that's why the temperature drops and it's using that to potentially manifest in a spot where they're, they've taken that energy to kind of create uh, a, a way to manifest. Ooh. So if you're scared, you should just stay in the cold spot because they're not there. Yeah, right. <laughs> Most likely that's, that seems that, I mean, if you're thinking about like the, the, the nature of a vacuum, yeah, you're pulling that something out of there and temperature like dropping is an absence of temperature. You know, that's you know, that's, it's pulling something out of that space to make it cool. That's, I mean, that's how like a condenser works on your uh, air conditioning. Interesting. Okay. So let's get inside your mind a little bit because we may have writers listening that are trying to write about paranormal investigations, but they haven't been on, on an investigation. So really pulling from your perspective and experience. So let's, let's kind of set the stage a little bit. We are a character that is going to a place that's under investigation. So when you get there, what does it, feel like what does it smell like what what are some of your senses telling you well see that's 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 an interesting thing because as an investigator you should go into the location and you should prior to the investigation you should kind of do like a baseline okay so if you're walking into a building it shouldn't be for the first time it should be at least somewhat familiar 
so you have an idea to uh, of what has changed so the first thing is it should be somewhat familiar to you um and as a writer you should be able to express that like with saying things like as the last time he was here it felt like this um so when you're walking into it like to me i don't do the dark turn off all the lights thing because that's that's a party party favor kind of that's a product that's 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 production value i guess because uh -huh. they get the green so you're gonna take into account what it was like the first time you've been there and then as you go through there you're going to almost have to go into a state of like hyper vigilance okay um and uh so you need to be paying attention to your complete environment and so you should take your time in there um so you should be looking for the way that you feel when you walk in there physically. Like, does your is it does your hair stand on end? Are you dealing with some kind of infrasound reaction? Uh, do you want to run out of the building? You, know, you should pay attention to all those things. Like uh, walking into an investigation for the first time, everything needs to be recorded as well. And I'm not talking maybe. You, I would say write it down like an investigation. So to me, um, or like have a recorder and kind of speak your observations, speak your observations, but make sure you're the only one speaking. So there's no, uh, so there's no pollution of the audio. Oh, I was, thing I I was think. thinking something else. Like the ghost is hopefully leaving some, some notes that, I'm, <laughs> that notes you didn't intend to leave. Well, well, and that's, that's possible, but that's like, if you get like an, an electronic voice phenomenon, uh, you don't want to have multiple conversations going in into the environment. So you couldn't be possibly like you have something you didn't hear, but it's the guy in the next room talking. Mm, okay. So, so you have to like be, you know, you have to really be aware of where people are. And like, if you are on a recorder saying, you know, Bob and Jill are in the next room over. So, you know, I, I should be the only voice on here, but if not, we'll have to eliminate. You, you know the environment. You have to record the whole environment. So hyper alert, gotcha. hyper aware of, of the, and don't turn off the lights so you can see because if this stuff is real, you're not going to need to have it be dark to experience it. What if you're a beginner and you're just spooking yourself? How can you trust some of those like shivers and chills? You can't. I mean, I, I'm in the, that the brutal, honest answer is you can't. You can't. You can't trust it. That's why you need to kind of already be familiar with the area. Um, and then you are a lot of people. I believe psych themselves out, uh, and they scare themselves. And I think that's a big part of why a lot of people do paranormal investigations. I probably shouldn't say that too much, but it's a um, little bit of it's exciting. It's exciting, and I think it's a. Uh, it's a it's a different way to explore your own spirituality too, um, you know. Because if you're starting to answer the question of if the, is there life after death and there, if there's ghosts, then I mean that is that's a spiritual ex experience as much as it is anything else. I think even maybe more so. So you you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but um, kind of revisiting it here when we are arriving at at this let's call it a haunted house, a haunted school, an abandoned building. What is your goal in that initial investigation? Are you just there to document? Are you hoping to contact? Walk me through that. So for me personally, I think the first is to, to document. 
to understand what the environment offers without interacting with the environment itself. And if you go back and then, you know, because there is like kind of a positive result and you need, it made you feel it requires further investigation. That's when you might start to try and engage uh, with whatever you feel is there. Okay. And when you're, I see this in all the TV shows, they all have these tools whether it's temperature readings or um, I don't conducting a seance. So what tools have you used? What's your experience? So my experience is uh, initially I went in with the EMF detector, the uh, audio recorders, cameras. Uh, and over time that, that really shifted for me because one of the things I began to understand that the evidence that anyone's going to ever pull from an investigation is never going to be enough to prove to a skeptic okay. uh, that there is an ex there there is an afterlife existence or that the ghost exists or anything like that. So really, at some point, the investigation comes about becomes about what the investigator is seeking. So I would always go in with a pad of paper and a pencil and my own senses being alert and usually would bring an audio recorder just in case, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but nothing more than that. Because I feel like all the other tools are, they're, they're no different. I, I know everyone likes, to, likes their little gadgets and I don't want to decry them too much, but I don't feel like they're any more evidentiary than the anecdotes that you carry out yourself. Okay, like your own senses too, being able to work yeah. with those, gotcha. And have you ever been in a seance? I have. Yeah. How did that go? <laughs> yeah. Did you manage that or were you just like a guest? So I was, I, I, it was for my, my former radio show slash podcast, the grand art conspiracy. It was a Halloween special. I had a former guest of the show. She was psychic and she came up uh, from Florida to Ohio and she conducted the seance for us live and we streamed it on video. It was a uh, very interesting because it was a lot of, uh, back and forth between the listeners um, on through the chat room and her herself. And so she would call something out and there was people at the table holding hands. We had the candles, we kind of try, try to set the whole uh, vibe, if you will, uh, you know, a little spooky, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I still don't know where I stand on it because I was so engaged with making sure that it, uh, everything ran properly that I, I wasn't really sitting at the table. Mm, okay. Oh, bummer. It's it's kind of like when you rent uh, the technical for any show and you don't really get to enjoy it. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I was I was engaged in it, you know, at the beginning and the outset, but once it got rolling, it was more of like making sure that the the chat room was being communicated. It was making sure that the video was still good and the audio was still carrying through. So it was a but it was an exciting night. And I know a lot of people, the people who came over uh, to to my house at the time and sat at the table, they all had a, a, a heck of a time. So I considered it a success, but I, I couldn't really speak too much to like the feels of it because I was so hyper-focused on pulling off the show itself. I guess if you're very hyper-focused on projects, ghosts can't get through. I always think like if you're a writer and you're like hyper-focused on your project and there's a ghost in the background, you have no idea because your brain's just not open to that right now. Right. Well, and I think that's a large part of what this, what, how people experiences are. They have to almost be open to, to even having the experience. Otherwise you're just, you're going to walk right by it because it feel like it's a lot more subtle than just 
like like you said, they're kind of standing behind you. You you might not notice them if you're not focused on it. What is the most eerie experience that you've had that you couldn't quite explain? That's a loaded question. You want a long story or a short story? Whatever's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I'll. I'll mm, all right, I'll, I'll I'll share kind of a, probably one of the, the creepiest ones that I, I've ever experienced, uh, and this is why I'm a believer in the paranormal. Um, part a big part of the reason why I went over to a friend's house. Uh, and this was maybe in third grade to spend the night, third, fourth grade. I don't remember exactly the, the age that I was, but uh, they would always joke about how their house was haunted and how they had a friendly ghost and how it would shut off the lights or it would turn off channels, kind of like I described earlier, I would do. It came time to go to bed, and this was an older house. Um, and so we went upstairs in his bedroom, actually connected to his sister's bedroom so like there was like a split in half her doors at the back of his room so we're laying there and he's he's already snoring i'm laying i'm in my hawaiian punch sleeping bag um <laughs> and uh her door is open and i and there was like a window directly behind it and i could see like the light from the moon shining through it and i see like a female form step in front of the window and i'm like oh it's just a sister but then that point i remembered oh wait his sister's staying the night at one of her friend's house her sister's not in that room so as i'm laying there i'm like now i'm a little scared it starts moving towards me the the shape um and i'm sorry (laughs) this one still gets to me um as i'm laying as i'm as i'm laying there this form like climbs on top of me in my sleeping bag and uh and you know this is this is gonna sound so crazy but i'm gonna go ahead and go for it um i i remember looking at it in, in the face and it had like yellow skin it was like almost looked like parchment um and the eyes were sun shut and the mouth was sun shut and it had no nose it just had the the, the nasal cavities Ooh. And I pa- I passed out. Oh, and did your friend up, did your friend ever t- like describe that to you before? No, uh-uh. and I, I'm gonna put this this way: I lived the kind of sheltered life. I wasn't exposed to like horror films or or movies or anything like that till even after this, maybe 12, 13 years old. And so I was probably like nine or ten. I, a full so, disclosure, by the way, as you're telling me this story, I'm like, I'm in a dark room and I'm like opening the window blinds. I'm yeah. like, let's get some light in here. <laughs> anyway, keep going. So, I mean, I, I, I literally passed out from fear. And when I woke up, I, it, it, whatever was gone. Ugh. But like, I, it still bothers me. And that was something that happened like, you know, decades ago. That one, yeah, I'm, I'm shaking right now. Though. Oh gosh, well that thing, that reminds me of, especially when it's almost like your brain has to be open to it, and you're talking about how you saw it, and after you saw it, it it's almost like it notices you. It makes me think of I've heard, and I, I mentioned this in another podcast, I think, where um, nurses, doctors that work in hospitals where there's a lot of death and like night shifts, they'll talk about they'll see or hear something, 
and a lot of like people who come new and they go like I think there's someone in that room and they're like don't look don't look at them and the they, they don't talk about them don't acknowledge them because it's like giving them attention gives them something to focus on or purpose I guess and what they want them to do is move on because these according to what I'm hearing from nurse ghost talk or whatever on TikTok is these spirits may not know that they're dead and so they're just hanging around and so if you ignore them they'll move on and so then it makes me think that you saw it this thing and so that's why I came to you kind of thing whereas if you weren't didn't notice it maybe it would never bothered you I don't know well, well, what's interesting to me, like looking back on it from more, a more pragmatic standpoint, is the fact that the whole family thought the house was haunted and they thought it was this ha-ha, goofy little thing. And for me, it was completely not goofy. Like one of the things that, again, when I go back to the psychological bent and I notice like when I'm listening to someone tell a story or if I'm in person watching them tell the story is the kind of response that they physically manifest as they tell the story. Because it's like a, if, if they offer like a true trauma response, like the shaking, the adrenaline, the hair, you know, the struggling to tell, the eyes looking upward, then you kind of know like whether or not it, it actually happened, They it is part of their own personal experience. Because um, there is a, still a trauma response happening there. So when you're doing your investigations, do you usually have the client with you? Or do you go alone? I would always, whenever you can be alone, be alone. Um, as long as you've got recording devices, you can kind of back up what you're doing. Um, I mean, maybe you want to partner up, but you don't want the client there because they're going to kind of cloud your own view of what's potentially happening. Okay. Because you, you're, you're, you're your own instrument in a way. You're, you're your own measuring device. So when somebody, when you start adding people into uh, an experience, that shifts what that, that uh, measure, what those measurements will be. Because you're going to look for other people's um, response uh, to measure your own against rather than just taking it at face value for yourself. There are some belief systems that by engaging you're inviting so was there ever a worry or concern or experience where you felt like by engaging and entering these places that you're going to take some of it home with you or it's going to latch on to you kind of thing i th i think that's always a concern when you engage anything i don't want to sound too hokey but anything spiritually is that you especially that could be potentially negative um is that you're going to carry that weight with you back to where you came from um and in some regards you almost always will um i know a lot of people i know you're talking about entities following you home and i know a lot of investigators who have had the claim to have had that happen um it's never been a huge concern for me because i'm i guess i i've dealt with this as pretty much my whole life um and i have figured out a way to kind of close that off kind of like set a boundary right where you don't want yeah, toxic people yeah. in your life you're like all right ghosts toxic spirits i'm i'm not i'm not here for you <laughs> and then maybe they'll listen yeah, well you know and who knows i mean who knows what's actually out there on the other side which i think is something a lot of people don't even like to think about like if there is another side and they're you're engaging with these and 
Interesting. Okay, so you described one interaction with this, with this thing that was really have. Yeah. Oh, I think I lost you. So sorry. I think you went dark. Can you say what the last Uh thing was? I uh, okay. Sorry. Um, So I I I think uh, when when you're dealing with this these these energies, you never really know what you're seeing on the other side because it's not like you can visualize them or if they are as ephemeral and mystical as they would need to be, they only have to show you the image that they want to show you. So you you will never know the true nature of what you're dealing with. Oh, spooky. And you won't know until you're there. Like, right. Yeah. Past yeah. Over. yeah, exactly. And, and I guess that's why as a writer, it's why another thing that intrigues me about it is that that is definitely something since it's an unknown that you have a lot of leeway to, to play with. So you've discussed one type of interaction when you were a kid. What other types of interactions can writers explore with their characters that you've experienced? Well, let me think about that, right? So another, I mean, obviously just the investigation and the personalities, like if you are on like a team, like you can create a team around it. I mean, that's, and then the exploring the personalities and how they interact with that um, also it's a it's an interesting way that you can explore reality itself, the the way people differ in the way that they perceive reality. Okay. Uh, so, I think that would be a, a really, and that's something I've done myself. Like you know, in my writing, is explored the different perceptions of reality and how a singular event can kind of shift it from one way to another. What are the different ways a presence or a spirit or whatever make themselves known aside from just lurking in doorways and <laughs> that scary thing that happened to you? <laughs> well, I mean, like we talked a little bit about the cold spots. I mean, I, I suppose that that's possible. Um, and of course, there's a uh, olfactory, uh, which is, you know, the smells uh, is another way that a lot of people think uh, that they do. Um, you know, amorphous shapes, you know, whether that's mists or shadows. I know a lot of, there's a lot of talk about shadow people. Um, they always typically, they are a little bit like they're humanoid, but they're not completely humanoid. So, and I know apparitions are, are pretty uncommon. Uh, auditory is another way, um, whether that's disembodied voices or if, if you're a believer in electronic voice phenomena, uh, that's that's another way uh, they can potentially communicate, and also um, moving objects. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of ways that you know at least people that have done paranormal investigations have experienced, uh, you know, these ghosts. I guess for lack of a better term. You mentioned shadow people, humanoids. Does that apply to animals? Shadow animals. That is definitely a thing that a lot of people have reported um, that, that they see shadow animals um, and it's become more common. And I almost, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, mythology of uh, oh gosh, thought forms. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what they're called. Are you familiar with the, the play Harvey? Mm-mm. It's like a puka, a puka, I think is what it's called. And uh, it's, it's a thought form that's brought into existence as an as an individual entity by the people who are thinking about it. 
Um, the reason why I ask is because that's something I've encountered as a child. So I had, uh, yeah, my childhood home, my brother and I would experience so many weird shadow things. So, um, the the most common thing that we kept doing was we kept mistaking them for our dogs and then we would go follow it and then turn the corner and there's nothing there and we turn around our dogs on the opposite side of the house that happened to us multiple times and then there'd be times where I'd be in bed at night and I would just get a really freaked out feeling and because even though like the room was dark there was a corner of the room like right right in front of my bed actually where it was just darker than the rest of the room like and I don't mean naturally darker I mean like for some reason I couldn't see I could see and you know when your eyes adjust to the the dark it's mm-hmm. not completely black I could see everything in my room but there was a spot across the room for me I couldn't see through and that would happen like every now and then it would just happen like routinely to the point where I was like scared of my room and and all that stuff and then when we moved out and I never had that problem again it was just in my childhood house that's very interesting mm, yeah Hmm. that's why i'm like i'm a little interested in this <laughs> in these shadowy creature I, things <laughs> it, that's a very interesting i mean because i don't want to say what i'm thinking uh because uh but i'm going to so uh so, is it gonna follow you know, me if you say it, is no, it gonna follow? okay no no i think think whatever was is that would sounds almost more nefarious than just your run of the mill um uh it sounds like a presentation to bring familiarity and comfort before it does its real yuck intent yuck so it's it's animals you're familiar with animals you're not as scared of animals but it's really this i mean in a lot of literature that i've read um that's a that's a common more on the dark side of things uh story interesting well now when my daughters get spooked about things um they're like what if i see something i'm like you punch it in the face <laughs> like i'm like cuz i grew up so freaked out but i'm like just punch it in the face you know and like show some aggression <laughs> and maybe you'll be fine <laughs> is that well, good I mean, advice better, would you tell people that it's better than a fear response let's put it that way because i guess i don't want to get too much into my i've had experiences uh where, yeah, I pretty much was like dealing with things. And when I stopped responding in a fear response and basically just stood up to, to basically what it felt to me tantamount to a bully, uh, it stopped. Mm, okay. So I'll that's keep great telling, advice. I'll keep telling them that. I mean, the worst that could happen is they accidentally punch each other. <laughs> you know, right. like one's walking into the other room. <laughs> but I, I mean, mean, I mean hey. <laughs> The real advice is, yeah, don't get scared and don't engage. Okay. Yeah. I Whenever I would get that nighttime fear, like fear, I would like hide. I would just like hide under the, the covers and just wait. And then it wouldn't always stick around. Like eventually it would kind of fade away. It wasn't like this thing that just stayed there forever. But it was just, I could always tell when th- something just seemed a little wrong in the corner, you know, and I don't, I've never felt that way anywhere else again, like after moving out of there. So, so what was that feeling like? Was it, was it like a sinking feeling? Was it a tightness in your chest? Was it a. It was that. And then I got really hot. Like I, my body would get really Mm. hot. I would get a sinking feeling like a dread tightness. 
And then I'd be afraid to breathe. I'd be afraid to move. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't help to have the, the blanket over me because I felt like I couldn't, it made it worse. Um, yeah. And then the, the dog thing, it felt more like a fluke, like a mental fluke until my brother and I talked and he's like, Vicky, he's like, I would see that too. And he's like, one time I, I thought one of our dogs went into my bedroom. I followed it into my bedroom, looked in my bedroom, my bedroom was empty. I turned around and both our dogs were at the top of the stairs looking down at me. Like, and he's like, so what went into my bedroom? And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) That sounds like, I mean, I have a similar story. I went to do an investigation and there was three of us in the car. We're pulling up to the gates of the cemetery. It's just like starting to get dark. So my headlights were on. I saw something cut my headlights, like cut my headlights and, and like leap onto the hood of my car. And I just like, it startled me and I just stuck my head down on the steering wheel and I put my head back up. It was gone. Didn't say anything. Look over the person next to me and they're like, did you just see that? And the other person chimed in, you know, so it was like, we all three saw it, but nobody said anything at initially. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things like very, okay, I'm not so crazy because I wasn't going to say anything. I think I'm okay. This is just me, you know, expecting to see something, but they all described the exact same thing. Ooh. so it's kind of like your dog story like you didn't discuss it and when you came and it was mm-hmm. the same it kind of I don't know it, it kind of affirms you know that your your experience yeah okay so then getting back to your investigation process how do you how do you know you can close out an investigation what do you do I mean if it's if it's an investigation that's really just exploratory then it's just whenever I feel like I've got the answer I, I was looking to get, like whether it's this place on or this place is, that, that's kind of your exploratory thing. If you are dealing with people that you, you've given them the answers that you can give them and you see that they're empowered enough to, to lose the fear and to, to no longer engage it, I think you're good. So it's more of an education where they are on the lines of an education. I know one of the properties that uh, I went to, we went to maybe four or five times. Wow. Uh, you know, okay. and most of it's one time and out, but you know, sometimes you just need to help. It's more about guiding people out of fear than it is maybe proving to them that they're not crazy. And I mean, I guess that's part of it because I think that's, I think that's a sane, a really sane response to seeing something that doesn't match what we we have in our day-to-day life something that doesn't fall within how we understand the natural order is there like an additional complexity when you're working with like the catholic church for example when there's and they have like a demonologist and all that stuff that you have to take into consideration compared to like i don't know i contacted you and wanted you to investigate my childhood haunted house no there definitely is so um i didn't get the so how that worked they contacted me because they didn't they they wanted to save the expense of having to travel from the new england area to ohio they knew i was in the area they knew i was i was friends with the person and they knew i was trustworthy and, and they gave me this whole set of instructions i had paperwork i had to go with i had to set up an appointment with the people um and then it was it was dealing and and i hate to say it the situation ended up really badly I, I, and but um, they did their 
you know, I recorded the interview and then I had these questionnaires that needed to, needed to be filled out. Um, so it was a lot more formal. I mean, it was almost, it was almost downright bureaucratic, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think that's the way it has to be. Um, and the people I talked to, uh, uh, they, uh, they were not dealing with the demonic. It was psychological. Um, the person was claiming to, to be oppressed and uh, by a demon had basically, I think, Googled whatever demon name they could find, uh, found out a lot about the past. Uh, it was uh, several suicide attempts, uh, manic depressive bipolar disorder, um, ended up in a mental institution and then several years later did end up committing suicide. So that was a really sad situation uh, mm-hmm. because uh, what the demonologist did was tried to find her psychological help because, but because of the audio recording and because of the questionnaire was he was able to kind of weed out any kind of paranormal activity at all. Um, but it, it was a, wasn't a fun phone call that when I, when I got the news, Wow, uh, because you know you, I interacted with those people I cared about. You know what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Do you find that pop culture interpretations of paranormal investigations has an impact on your work or the people you work with? Oh, it definitely does. I mean, I think everybody has. Unless you're doing paranormal investigation, you have a viewpoint of, of the that it's it's all exciting and, and there's there are times of exciting excitement but it's like any kind of investigatory work there's more work spinning books there's more work just looking at stuff it's there's a lot of hours to get that three or four minutes of excitement or um or whatever you would call it to you know of success um so in pop culture you know if you're going to take a paranormal bent you're you're going to have to up stakes because the paranormal reality is most people aren't, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting the devil in a Catholic church in the end of days, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, that's just not going to happen. So you're, and, and the, I don't think the stakes are the same. So as, as you're writing, you kind of need to up, up the stakes uh, a, a little bit. Uh, and I think pop culture has kind of really fed that because most of the horror films don't take a subtle approach um there needs to be like threat to life and and i don't think even the nefarious stuff always plays out that way is there a movie or book that you think gets it the most right Ah, that's a good question books um i mean if if you read the the i think it's william peter blatty's the exorcist it's, it's pretty good um uh, I think that's a good book. Uh, movies, I would say Session Nine. Um, I don't know if a lot of people aren't familiar with that movie. But that one is very subtle and you really don't get introduced to any kind of paranormal element until until it's, it's I almost want to say until it's too late. <laughs> mm, cool. you, you, don't, you, don't even, you don't even realize what's happening until it unravels. Is it on Netflix? Do you do you know where people can see it? I I don't know if it's on Netflix. I don't know. Uh, okay. It's it's kind of a more obscure movie. I want to say it was made in the early two thousands. I don't know where people can stream it, but that is one that I think is kind of really on the nose. Session eight is called session session nine. Session nine. Oh, 
Okay. <laughs> I wonder what session eight was. <laughs> <laughs> what advice do you have for writers who are interested in writing about paranormal investigation? You touched on some, but if you have any more. So, I mean, it depends on how you want to approach paranormal investigation. If you want to be like ghost hunters or ghost adventures, I mean, you just kind of write what you see on TV. Uh, if you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of the, the couple hundred years of psychical research that's been out there, do some research, find some guys like uh, Dr. Barry Taff, um, Lloyd Auerbach. Uh, those are some good guys that are working in the field now. Um, a good friend of mine, Brian Parsons, uh, he's got a few books out there that are very like kind of uh, pragmatic. They're not so <clears throat> sensationalistic. Uh, so you'll get a more realistic viewpoint on on what it means to be a paranormal investigator. And of course, go out and investigate yourself. Um, I know that that's a good way to kind of get a sense on what those environments are going to feel like. Um, but if you do go out and investigate yourself, always make sure that you have permission to be where you are. Um, because that's a, you don't need to be trespassing. You don't need to, to deal with that. Uh, mm -hmm. Any, any of the negative consequences of doing that. I mean, it's, so if you want to get that in there, I, I think those are a few good points to, to begin to understand the topic a little more intellectually. Have you ever written about your, like, have you ever turned your encounters into a book or a story? Can you do that? Other privacy stuff that you have to think about? Um, no, because I think you can just change the names and locations and that that would take care of that. I don't, it, it kind of seeps into my fiction. I don't think I'm, I'm too interested in, in writing a nonfiction book on the topic. Um, but I mean, I do kind of work that stuff into the fiction work that I, I've been doing. Um, because it's just, it's part and parcel of who I am personally. So, I mean, I think any writer is going to put a lot of themselves into the words that they, they put together. So when you're establishing a, like your traditional protagonist or antagonist for a paranormal investigation type story, who, who are some good, like, is it always the ghost that's the antagonist? Could it be the humans? What are your thoughts on that? So the, the one I, I'm currently going through the editing process and hopefully we'll be out yeah, early 2024 um the protagonist is not a ghost and the antagonist is not a ghost um but the the thing that brings them together is is a is a spirit mm. is spirits or ghosts so it's so i i think they well, well ghosts can be interesting and uh, even the book that i have coming out this fall there are ghosts in it but it's not central to it's it's a it's central to the plot but it's not part central to the character development so to speak um mm -hmm. it's not a it's not a main character um so i i feel like when i write with ghosts it's the ghosts really aren't the story so much as they are uh a way to drive the story forward because i feel like not that you can't do that but for my writing that it's the humans that, that make the difference mm, okay <laughs> well that's also like great morality stories too like focusing on humans and not always making the ghost the enemy because we can be our own enemy i i feel that <laughs> i mean i i think that's 
the biggest monster that we have out there is 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 us, our, our is mankind, is humankind. Um, I think we have capacity to be angels and demons, and so I, that's what I'm more interested in exploring. You know, and how we illuminate that. I guess it's how I use the ghosts and the paranormal things in my books. So this has been so, this has been such a great discussion. You've actually kind of fired up my interest in one of my manuscripts that I had to shelve for a while because the human side of that story was getting to me and I, but I had a great joy in writing the paranormal side of it. So you've been, you've been inspiring me to pick that project back up and see if I can fix it. Uh, I could probably go on forever on this topic, but I wanted to get to our listener submitted questions. So I put out um, a question on Instagram and have people submit and I've got a good handful. So you ready to go through them? I'm I'm ready. Shoot. Okay. What scale do you use for detecting psychokinetic energy readings? I don't. I use my own gut. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't use equipment. Um, I guess once again, I, I can I can answer that pretty quickly. Uh, when I first started doing the podcast, one of the purposes I did for the podcast was to get audio to do a documentary because one I, after investigating for a while, I realized that the tools that people are using aren't any different than Ouija boards or table knocking that they did back in the early 20th and late 19th century. So I, I thought that they weren't really scientific other than the fact that they were just updated techno gadgets. Okay. And that's still your gut is probably the, the strongest measuring device. That is, that is the strongest measuring device. Okay. Kind of like when I just had that sinking feeling for no, like yeah, and freaked out. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> to what extent do you believe ghosts are conscious or aware of the living slash physical world? That's a loaded question. I'll say that one is, are they, are they sentient or are they not? And I think it's a mixture I think environment is a huge part of when we get repeating apparitions that don't interact. Um, but when a person is reporting a haunting, typically it's it's not one of those things. There's a the environment is interacting in ways that are anomalous and aren't easy to record. Um, so I would say it's a it's a strong combination of both of of those possibilities. I want to say I would say probably it's a 40% residual uh, and 60% sentient. Interesting. Uh, in my manuscript, I created, I was, so I work in government. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to apply the bureaucracy to paranormal <laughs> investigations. And I created levels of, and in this case, the ghost or the patient instead of the, the victim. And um, I, I, measure, I had levels for like how sentient they were and how self-aware they were. And it could be based off of what they were like as humans. So if you are a psychopath, um, you know, toxic individual, you're more likely to come back as like a toxic psychopathic presence versus someone who maybe died peacefully. And now they're just kind of blissfully unaware floating through the afterlife or whatever. That, that was kind of how I approached it. It sounds like the fact the existence of a range I might have gotten I might have gotten I think you're probably correct and I think another thing interesting to, to play off of that that you could do is to think like how much of that was our bio their biochemistry like altering their personalities and what happens to them when they're kind of free of that are they still like the psychopath or are they now 
a milder version of now they're just kind of a jerk you know like that's a really good point okay so it's like (laughs) what were you gonna say sorry i say i say uh, just a it was just a thought like when you're saying that that's an interesting idea okay next question are ghosts experience this might be a little bit more philosophical but are ghosts experiencing what is commonly thought of as an afterlife or does their existence as a ghost mean they are not experiencing the afterlife that's a really interesting question i think the fact that they're a disembodied consciousness would suggest that they're experiencing an afterlife but it might not be the one that they anticipated um or if there is a fact like a, a passing on or moving on or however you want to call it you know to the to the next realm that they're kind of trapped in in between in a, a limbo state I still say they're engaged in an afterlife, but they're not experiencing the uh, next stage, so to speak, that they're still kind of trapped here instead of moving into the next dimension. Gotcha. Can everyone become a ghost or only certain people or belief systems? I would think, wow, that's a good question as well. But I think that unless unless there is no soul, then yes, the answer would be everyone can become spirit or is spirit experiencing through a, a physical body and then they're released from the physical body. So the answer to that would be everyone or no one. Mm, okay. So then can animals or non-human, are there animal and non-human ghosts? I believe that animals have souls. So the answer to that would be yes, there sh- should be if they have a soul, then they should be able to continue into the next stage of existence. That got me thinking, like, how how many interactions reported to you are, are dream-based? Well, yeah, I mean, because you, it's very, it's a very real possibility, because I think, uh, I, I don't know what the statistics are on it, but, like, engaging, a lot of reports do come when people seem to be going to bed, so they could be coming... They could be like coming from the hypnagogic uh, state right before actually going to sleep. I mean, that's like, I don't know if you're familiar with the old hag syndrome. Mm-mm. So it's a thing that people, a lot of people report is that old hag comes to them right before they fall asleep and holds them down and like basically suffocates them and terrifies them uh, right before they fall asleep. Is that the same as uh, the idea that they wake up and they're frozen? Yeah. And they, yeah, they can't move. That's the other thing. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. sleep paralysis comes along with that, but it's yeah. usually, yeah. Okay. It's, so that's, they call it the old hag syndrome. And it's a, it's, that's definitely a, a nice terrifying thing to look into. <laughs> <laughs> How do you rule out mundane explanations? By testing the mundane explanations because they should be repeatable. Um, And so like if you can, it's like with the, we talked earlier about the wood and it being humid and the the fragrance trapped in the wood being released from the wood. That that you could probably, every time it's humid, you could probably go in there and smell that cherry pipe smoke. Um, and, And that's what everyone's reporting or if you go to the Ohio State Reformatory, everyone reports smelling rose perfume on the staircase. Well, you've got all this uh, plaster around that wall. And if you had somebody spraying rose perfume there on that hallway, then 
you know, it's trapped there until the right uh, environmental conditions release it. Interesting. And then the final submitted question, which was how, what makes the supernatural so intriguing? It's the unknown. It's the unknowable. Um, I mean, that's what makes it intriguing. If, if you experience something and it doesn't fit within, you know, the accepted norms of what we understand as science, you don't know what it is. And so there's exploration that needs to be done. It's the same thing that pushed us, you know, push people across oceans or sends us to outer space to the thirst for knowledge, to understand the world with which we live in um, and maybe exist beyond. Um, that's, that's why it's so intriguing. I mean, us as humans, we want to label and understand everything. Otherwise it's scary. Um, I, I guess the, the way I would couch that is what if I told you there's a monster, it has seven rows of razor sharp teeth. It can never stop moving or it dies. If you rub your hand the wrong way across its skin, it cuts you and it can smell blood from a mile away. And that's a terrifying monster, right? Mm -hmm. That's a shark. Oh. So understanding is a big part of how we remove the fear from the world we live in. And so that's where the intrigue comes in. Like we don't understand ghosts. We don't understand the paranormal or the supernatural. And, and we're always struggling to find a way to put labels on it so it doesn't scare us as much. We don't know what happens when we die. So if we can figure out that there's ghosts, we understand that life persists. And we've answered a huge question for us, but, but can we ever know? I, I can't answer that, but the exploration of it is almost required for humans. Well, Daniel, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much. You have educated me and also scared me because I am remembering you are the second person now to tell me <laughs> that I may have been under some sort of attack as a child because I had told that story to Bibi on a crawl, who was on our ghost stories episode. I think she said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's it, it's from a lot of the research and, and reading that I've done. I hate to say it. I apologize. I'm not trying to scare you. <laughs> <laughs> well i made it out thank god <laughs> all right well daniel any final remarks um no i am i want to say thank you very much for having me on this has been an absolute blast for me uh, if anybody wants to find me i'm on instagram at dboutsy that's my handle um and uh, if you want to look up my writing it's all on amazon uh just put in my name daniel bouts Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.